Hey, this is David Ellison from Megadeth, and you are here with Iron City Rocks. Hey, this is Matt Storm, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, this is Red Beach from Whitesnake, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Welcome to episode 360 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 360, we were jam-packed with three guests, actually four guests this time around. We have from the band Wildstar, we have David Starr, a guitarist. Uh, you might remember him as the bassist of Vicious Rumors for a period of time. Uh, he and his wife will be joining us. Her name is London Wild. Uh, together they have formed Wild Star, uh, a very cool power metal band. We're going to talk to them in just a little bit. Also, we have solo guitarist Lou DiBello uh, joining us, a really fantastic guitar player. Uh, so we want to get a chance to get you some exposure to him. And on the subject of fantastic uh, guitarists, we have our feature guest from the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, also the guitarist Whitesnake. Uh, we have joining us Joel Hoekster on the line, so we're going to talk to Joel. So, uh, Whitesnake uh, just announced a tour with Foreigner. Uh, they're going to be coming into Pittsburgh on the 27th of June to do a show at the uh, Key Bank Pavilion. Also going to be doing a show December 22nd with the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. And if he wasn't busy enough, Joel also uh, serving as the guitarist of Cher's band, and they're going to be doing some shows in Maryland early in 2018. So, uh, if you've got a car, those are all very drivable things. Uh, you can see them several times in this area between December and next June. So, without further ado, we're going to play you a little Trans-Siberian Orchestra to get you in that Christmas mood, and then we're going to talk to Joel Hoekstra. We have Joel Hoekstra of the TSO and obviously Whitesnake on the line. How are you doing, Joel? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me on. It's my pleasure. Um, you are going to be rolling into Pittsburgh to do a show on the 22nd at the PPG Arena, and I'm sure you're somewhere lost on the East Coast right now. I, I, I don't envy you guys trying to keep track of where you're at doing two shows a day in a lot of cities. Um, how is the tour going thus far without Paul? I mean, how, do, you, do you feel a difference in the, in the atmosphere between this year and last year? Amazing. I mean, of course, you know, Paul is obviously missed, you know, but uh, the show, I have to say, the production is uh, better than it's ever been. And, um, you know, musically, I feel like the band is tighter than we've ever been. So, um, you know, we're just rolling on and trying to make Paul proud. And, and so far, so good. 
Now, when you um, when you do these shows, um, you know, obviously this is kind of a fluid lineup. Um, there are certain musicians that are kind of staples, like Chris, uh, year in and year out, and Russell. Um, do you guys get to rehearse a lot, or does someone just send you in, you know, the middle of summer, the, you know, here's the parts you're going to be playing this year? How do you guys work all that out? Uh, well, there's, I guess for the, you know, the music end of things, like a couple of weeks uh, to get it all together, and that includes the production rehearsal, so that's, you know, getting us on the big stage and having everything synced up with the pyro and the lights, et cetera. Uh, you know, we usually get a list of songs a couple weeks before that, maybe a month before that, uh, to start prepping. So not really the summer, but uh, they are kind of working on the production elements, uh, mm-hmm. you know, quite a bit in advance before we even get into that that element of the of the rehearsals. So, and I couldn't even tell you the timeline of that actually because I'm not necessarily involved in that. But that takes a long time to get right. the, yeah. the stage design and the video design and all that stuff together. It's I mean, for those that haven't seen it, it's huge. Yeah. Now, would that be? Does Al get involved? Al Petrelli, for those not familiar, uh, does he get involved like working with the lighting people at all, or or does he just handle the musical end of the band? Pretty much. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to to say 100% on that but I mean I think Al is you know he's obviously the director so um, I think he keeps his head mainly in the music department mm-hmm. but uh, you know I couldn't I couldn't necessarily say 100% um, not involved in production but primarily music yeah now when you're going to do these live performances especially when you started the TSO you have you know a, certainly a different stage demeanor than like an Alex Skolnick had who was another guitarist for the TSO um you you kind of have a lot of rock moves and, and things like that that I think are very would transcend very well to an arena. Um, do they give any guidelines on on the types of moves they want you guys to do? You know, you do some synchronized kind of moves with Chris. Uh, you know, do you work all that out, or does someone tell you guys what to do? Not really. It's not. It's choreographed to the degree of like, hey, during this song here's where you're going to be. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it's kind of down to the individual performers. So, I mean, they like to keep it, you know, organic too. Sure. And not just have us, you know, be <laughs> programmed to right. have up there or whatever, you know. Uh, so, uh, it, you know, yeah, I know where to go for each song and there's maybe a, a, a space or two and then you just kind of entertain and follow your gut. Now, one of the things I think anybody who's witnessed this spectacle um, I've, I know I've often thought of, you know, I look back to when, um, you know, Metallica had the injury with the, with the flashbot. How much concern, you know, is there things marking off the stage so you're not stepping where you shouldn't step in, you know, the event of fire shooting out and things like that? Or how do you guys stay safe in that environment? Yeah, well, there's always a day, uh, a safety day with that mm-hmm. where they demo and, and you come up. But uh, for the most part, that stuff is in the same spot mm-hmm. uh, every year, and it's kind of by, it's behind us. So um, you know, all that stuff is definitely addressed to the end. And then there's guys standing by that mm-hmm. you know wouldn't let it go if for some reason somebody was out of place. But the even the odds of that happening are slim to none because once you're in the flow of a TSO show, you know exactly where to go um, each time. Mm-hmm. Now. Um when you're going through and doing the show, I mean, as a performer, you, as I mentioned, uh, you were with Night Ranger, you played with Whitesnake, uh, you've done a lot of rock metal type things. What is it like 
when you go out on stage and the audience is not only filled with children but senior citizens um how how is that feel you know audience is mostly seated is it kind of surreal for you uh i mean as a dad nowadays i I love it because (laughs) i can you know there's moments where we go down into the audience with our guitars Mm -hmm. and uh, for me it's really fun to play my guitar for you step down off a stage and you play it for kids, and you might be changing their whole life. Sure. You know, where I, I've had many people say, you know, my son took up guitar because of you and on this, and or, you know, God became so enthused that he started practicing. You know, we had him playing, and now he's practicing all the time. And uh, so for me, that stuff is great. Um, and, and that translates to older people as well. I mean, sometimes they're... Um, there's people there just looking to have a good time, and yeah. So I personally, I love it. It's it's a totally different thing than um, entertaining people in your own age bracket necessarily. Although there are plenty of those as well. Yeah. Uh, there's something at TSO for all ages, honestly. But uh, you know, I, I I dig it, man. I think uh, if I remember from a few years ago during one of the pre-tour press, uh, Paul said it very well that. It, the, even the oldest generations really grew up with the electric guitar, you know, the the Woodstock, the Jimi Hendrix. So you're not shocking, you know, even probably the oldest audience members. It's just always seemed to be, you know, I think a lot of metalheads look at these shows and go, oh, this is sabotage in disguise, um, you know, and expect it to be a metal concert. And it certainly is. And you've got the bombastic nature of a Kiss show. But then you're there next to, you know, people your parents' age and people with kids that are, you know, in strollers and binkies and uh, it's just a really neat experience, I think. For well, it's, yeah, I mean, it's definitely unique. I, I obviously having the story on the front half, mm-hmm. um, you know, adds a little bit, stays a little bit more with that holiday feeling for sure. uh, people that are there for that aspect. And the second half of the show uh, cuts loose a little bit more in terms of the production and in terms of it being just a rock show. Um, so again, something there for everybody and. Uh, for the most part, I mean, people, we don't see any empty seats at the end of these shows, sure. so people are making it through the whole thing. So it, it's amazing that, uh, honestly, that that it's uh, as successful as it is on paper. I think all of us probably would agree that, like, wow, will that work in film yeah. But it does, and it's amazing, and I'm proud to be a part of it. Now, you had an opportunity uh, earlier in the year, uh, and I think watching some of the videos, you probably made every middle-aged guy in the world jealous by playing guitar with Cher. Um, can you talk about how that opportunity came to you? Yeah, well, I knew uh, coming into, I, well, I guess it was at the really the end of uh, 2016 uh, that Whitesnake wasn't going to be touring in 2017. We're going to just be recording. Uh, so in addition to the new album, there was some other stuff that I recorded for David, and and you know there's a lot of there was a lot of projects, uh, you know the mm-hmm. live DVD. So anyway, I I put out feelers to people saying, hey, if there's anything you hear of, let me know. Uh, in terms of touring, and I just built a really fun, interesting year where I did a lot of different things. And one of the things that came from reaching out to somebody was uh, subbing and filling in on the share gig because. Uh, her guitarist, longtime guitarist Dave Barry, was playing on the voice. And he did a fill-in, he did a sub, and um, I, you know, did a few runs, and uh, looks like a few more early next year. So it's kind of turned into almost a little bit more of a pseudo uh, full-time thing. You know, I mean, it's not real. I'm still just filling in. You know, but um, 
It's great. I enjoy it a lot. There's great musicians, and it's kind of fun uh, to not be like the hard rock guy for a second. Sure. Yeah, it, it looked, I, I watched a few YouTubes, haven't had the opportunity to get to Las Vegas to see it, but it looked like a really, you know, a fun show, and it looked like you were really enjoying yourself. Um, can we talk a little bit about the Flesh and Blood album, the, the you know the forthcoming White Snake? Obviously, you're going to be returning to Pittsburgh in June. Uh, we just announced with White Snake, Foreigner, and uh, Jason Bonham. Can you talk about what we can expect from the new White Snake? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's it kind of runs the gamut. There's a lot of material. We have too much stuff right now. I think it's 18 or 19 songs. And there's a little, uh, little something from each kind of era of White Snake. So we'll see how it gets shaped and what songs uh, David pulls and picks to um, be the actual album. Because I doubt, I mean, I, I don't necessarily guarantee, but I doubt it will be 19 songs. Um, so we'll see. Uh, I feel like my guitar playing is well represented on there. David really let me have a good go at it. And, and um you know he's fantastic in that regard, and 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 letting, getting the best out of players, and uh, certainly was an honor to uh, contribute a bit writing wise on it, and um, I'm excited. Now, did you get to work with a uh, you know Reb Beach much? Uh, did you guys collaborate, or was it like you and David, or Reb and David? How do how do you you know? No, definitely. Write? I, there's there's songs that have have uh, writing basically from all three of us as well on there so I mean there was like one trip I think where it was only me out there working with David and Rabbit had trips working with David and then there was times where it was Rabbit and I hashing up the songs together mm-hmm. and, uh, and still building new stuff with David so it happened over the course of a few uh, trips it's hard to be remember all the specifics sure. of it you know uh, but it, we definitely can sure, you know, work together, and I love working with Reb. He's a great guy and great bandmate. And, um, so the chemistry is good right now. Yeah, I think a lot of people are excited because, you know, I think people, you know, know what Doug brought to the guitar role, and I think Doug had done primarily most of the guitar writing with David. Um, so it's kind of exciting to see, you know, what your contribution and what Reb's contribution in a lot of ways. Cause Reb has obviously toured with him quite a bit, but has been doing writing more with Kip and Winger. Um, so it's going to be kind of a new chapter for White Snake, uh, and it's great to see you guys doing a you know a proper big stage in the United States again. That's going to be really exciting. Um, can I talk? Yeah, about- very excited about it. They're excited to get out on the road, and um, you know, it, every, everybody brings what they bring to the table with with White Snake. And David is um, great about honing it all and making it all sound like White Snake. You know, yeah. that's always the thing. Everybody's up in arms about like. You know, but they always need to remember it's it's David Coverdale. He's not, yeah. You know, it's going to sound like Whitesnake in the end. Yeah, I think that that's the one thing you you bring a great point. Some vocalists, you know, when they work with other artists, they sound like the other artists. But David, uh, you know, through many different guitarists and, and bandmates and things, has is had a very consistent sound, really from the whole Deep Purple all the way through till now. It, you know, it's not a huge departure. You know, if you go back and listen to the to the latest album, you know, with those great Deep Purple tracks, it doesn't sound totally out of place in the White Snake catalog. You know, it's it's very no, consistent. not at all. I mean, it, it, those songs definitely uh, fit right in. Yeah, riff-driven um, rock. You know, 
um, now turning towards your your solo material, you you put out a great album. I believe it was in 2015. You did the Hoekstra 13. Um, do you have plans to to do another one anytime soon, or is it kind of got off the table yeah, right now with all the touring? Yeah, some talk about it. It's uh, I mean, a lot of it is for me just how busy I get. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm already looking at next year, going, well, I'm I'm booked January through December. You know, if everything. Uh, continues to play out the way it is, you know, so it's uh, you know it's definitely tough uh, to to find the time sometimes, and then it's tough business wise. I think to have it all make sense, um, you know. I, yeah. I nowadays you can't sell records, Absolutely. so you know the money's going down for people to do this, and so if given the choice to make money playing live with somebody or not make money recording and working really hard, it's you know, a lot of times you want to make the choice to just make the money playing live. So yeah, um, I, I, you can't blame you know anybody, and, and even when you know bands were selling triple platinum albums, everyone always said you know, can't wait to go out on the road. You know, the studios, the work, the, you know, the fun is on the road. So why not make the money on the road? Um, I, I mean, I actually I love recording just as much as I love playing live. So, mm-hmm. You know, it's the apples and oranges. I, it's an equal love that's there. It's just you know, obviously, in terms of um, making a living, which yeah. you know, musicians are as entitled to as anybody. It's a people forget that we're people. You know, I got I have kids and a, a family, and so a lot of times it comes down to that. Yeah, certainly. No, I mean, I don't think anyone can fault. You know, and if you're able to do it on the scale, I mean, you look at you know, a hard rock bands in this type of music. Um, you're in two acts right now that really are fortunate enough to be able to play these large venues still. I mean, there aren't many arena-filling rock outfits left. There aren't too many that fill these giant outdoor sheds. So um, I don't think anyone could fault you for taking that opportunity to you know, to tour with two of the greatest uh, things going. It's really a great opportunity. Yeah, I think the main thing is to just to, to stay productive. Mm-hmm. And, and whatever comes out, comes out. I mean, if mm-hmm. it ends up being recording stuff... Um, that's great, and I'm always always writing and working on stuff. And there are some things, you know, in the works. But again, you know, there's a new album coming out with Whitesnake that I was a part of writing mm-hmm. and, and obviously playing guitar. So, um, you know, that stuff is it does does manage to take care of itself. You're just productive. Awesome. Well, Joel, I wish you all the best. You're going to be in town on December 22nd to do the PPG Arena, and then you're coming back in June to play the uh, Key Bank Pavilion with Whitesnake. So going to be a great uh, seven months we'll get to see you twice and uh, hopefully uh, many more times down the road so thank you for your time today hey thank you for your time totally appreciate it man all right again two chances to chat joel holstra in the pittsburgh area you've got uh, december 22nd two shows at the ppg arena for the trans-siberian orchestra uh if you've not seen the trans-siberian orchestra and um i really can't imagine what you're waiting for uh, all the bombastic nature of a full-on arena rock concert uh, a lot of metal uh, guitar work a lot of great symphonic music a really cool storyline great for the entire family so a, a great uh, time to get out and get in the holiday spirit and then uh, Foreigner returns to the Key Bank Pavilion with Whitesnake uh, Joel being part of Whitesnake and as we mentioned in the interview Whitesnake's got a new album coming out in the new year also a new live DVD uh, covering the uh, Deep Purple album that they did about a year or so ago so lots of chances to see joel uh, and if you want to make the drive check him out with share uh 
lucky guy gets to play guitar alongside one of the greats of uh, rock and roll of all time. So not a shortage of much going on for Joel Hoekstra in 2018. So we're going to turn our attention now to the band Wildstar. As I mentioned at the top of the program, a really cool power metal band. Uh, don't do much touring, but they've got a really cool new album out. Uh, the band consists of uh, David Starr on guitars and bass, uh, London Wild, his wife is the vocalist and the keyboard, and then John Foster plays drums. Uh, they've got uh, some really cool new music out, uh, Beyond the Rain. So we're going to play you a little bit of Beyond the Rain, uh, the new album, which uh, is released on December 8th. And then we're going to get right into that interview with those two. gentlemen my pleasure to welcome from the band wildstar we have dave in london on the line how you doing this morning guys doing great yeah fantastic can you talk a little bit for for those not familiar with wildstar how the two of you um obviously husband and wife um but how the band came together or which came first did you were you married first and made a band or did the band lead to to nuptials Actually, yeah. um, actually uh, okay, so That's an interesting way of yeah, it, yeah. Um, Dave and I have been uh, friends for a long time. And, 30, uh, 30 years. 30 years. And we've been married for 16. Um, and I'd say, I, I, you know, within the first couple of years of our being married, I was engineering bass tracks for Dave uh, when he was playing with Chastain. Mm-hmm. And while we were in the studio kind of wrapping this whole thing up Dave said you know I've got all these um, song ideas and I was thinking of put, putting together a band and you know I'll have to find other members I need to find a singer and I said well I can sing you know um, can I give it uh, give it a go and he said sure so um, I came back to him with a track of um, I added vocals to one of his guitar ideas and the rest is history. <laughs> yep, three albums later. No, London, were you a singer, um, like, professionally prior to the band? Um, yes. I, um, let's see. In the 80s, I was, um, I was in bands, but I never lasted very long because mm-hmm. in those days, everybody wanted a, a male-fronted band. Sure. Um, so... I ended up just kind of giving up on the singing part, and I was mostly doing studio work for people, backup vocals, uh, songwriting for other bands. 
and you know I wasn't really in the limelight in any way as a singer I was kind of um mostly recording and um you know that's why Dave actually had never heard me sing before but I had been singing for a long time um and obviously since we started uh this is our third album so you know now I'm I'm singing more than I'm recording but sure. <laughs> A lot more comfortable. Uh, that time, um, you know, it was it was something I pursued that I I just went in a different direction. Did you um, sense London? I mean, I, I don't not a person who likes to put labels on music, but I, I would probably consider this in the power metal genre. Um, did you find resistance because there aren't a tremendous amount of female fronted bands in that genre? I mean, we're certainly used to to many oh. fantastic female singers. But you don't see a lot yeah. of females in power metal. I had a lot of resistance. So picture me, my voice, and it's 1985. Mm-hmm. You know, people are like, you know, they they didn't know how to wrap their minds around it. And um, you know, even even now, it's it's not very common the, the genre mm-hmm. that I'm singing. But for me, I, I didn't want to sing any other style or genre that was um that was what I wanted to do and um I'd say my you know the the vocalists that I looked up to were Rob Halford, Runny James Dio mm-hmm. and early Queensryche uh Jeff Tate early Queensryche so, and so that was what I that's what motivated me you know when I listened to their voices and that's I, I don't know why more women aren't doing it because you know, I think that's a very exciting, um, vocally, it's a very exciting and challenging genre. Sure. But you're right, there aren't a lot uh, doing it. There's a lot more women in metal these days, which is a good thing, but as as I've looked around and uh, just given a few things, you know, just ch- checking out bands here and there, I can almost tell by looking at them what they're going to sound like, and it seems like more often than not, the bands that I'll look at that are metal, that are female-fronted, are kind of in that operatic night uh, Nightwish kind of vein, which is sure. not what we do. And right. I'm not knocking that, not knocking that, because I think Nightwish is a great band, but they certainly have spawned a lot of clones, mm-hmm. and we're we're more of the the old school, old school classic yeah. pretty. Devo, <laughs> I almost said Devo. Dio, um, uh, Curly Queens, right? You know, just the, the classic stuff, and that's who we're influenced by. And I think there is still some resistance to guys who don't want to listen to women. But, you know, an interesting thing is a lot of times when people hear us before they see what we look like. Mm-hmm. They're not expecting it to be a woman because they're not used to hearing women who can sound like Rob Halford or Jeff Tate. So it's kind of an interesting. I've got a lot of emails from people going, "Oh my God, I've never been into women singing before, and I didn't even know you guys had a female singer." And then I saw photos of you guys. I was blown away. Yeah, it is. I'm sorry. Go ahead. When we first, oh sorry, with our, um, you know, we're talking old school. Our first song was a demo we put up on MySpace <laughs> back when MySpace was um, so popular and some of the feedback was you know Dave I 
I you're very high pitched in your vocal. Like people <laughs> assume Dave was singing for some reason. Yeah. And uh, uh, I think that's what you know. If if you hear it before you see it. Um, that's what, or you know, not really understanding who's doing what in the band. Yeah, it is interesting to me. You know, so many metal bands. You mentioned Jeff Tate. Uh, you, you know, you think of uh, maybe a band like Dragon Force, such a you know in in the range of the soprano, uh, very high falsettos. That you know, I know as a guy, I can't get anywhere near that. You know, I, I and so I'm always kind of jealous of people that can sing that high, but I never understood why more women. Uh, who maybe naturally can sing in that range, and if we're able to sing into it, you know, beyond the age of 25, don't do that, you know, because it's, I think, the range we expect to hear from metal. You know, we want to hear that, you know, super high range over the cuts over the guitars, but right. still metal fans seem somewhat hesitant, which is unfortunate. But, um, you know, like you said, it, it's great, you know, listen to the album before you look at pictures. You know, that's always a a great way to do it because then you can decide if your ears like it and that's the most important part yeah uh, what's most important is the music itself you know mm -hmm. that's what counts Dave um, you I think most people re obviously remember your time at Vicious Rumors as the bass player uh, in this band mm -hmm. you're doing you're you're the chief cook and bottle wash uh, doing guitar and bass um, when you made the to, well did you switch from bass to guitar or had you been playing guitar all along? Um, can you talk about that transition a little bit? Well, I always played guitar a little bit enough mm -hmm. when I was in Vicious Rumors to uh, bang out some chords and get the ideas across to Mark and Jeff for songs that I wanted to contribute. But in terms of the level that we're dealing with Wildstar, no, it was... Uh, I got clean and sober in 2005, and part of my rehab was basically just diving into this project with London and really uh, getting my head straight and playing the guitar for hours and hours and hours in my office every day and working on songs and I just got really good really fast so I didn't become a, a serious guitar player until Wildstar so I'm 56 I've only been playing guitar seriously since I was uh, 44 45 so it was it's kind of rare I guess that somebody makes a a change like that midstream in their career or a life, but it's just that's what I did. I want that's what I wanted to do. And initially, when we started this, we were actually going to have people come in and play with us on the album. Uh, people that I had worked with either in Vicious Rumors or uh, like Brad Gillis, David Chastain, uh, Vinnie Moore. You know, I was going to throw out some, try to get some session work from some of these people I'd worked with in the past and. Just the more I played and the longer I was clean and sober, I just felt, you know what, this will be a lot more personal yeah. for London than I. We just do everything that we can possibly do ourselves. Um, as long as it's real and convincing, I didn't want to shortchange the band and our songs and say, well, I'm going to do everything I... I'm going to do everything myself, whether it sucks or not. No, I don't think that happened because I think if you listen to all three of the albums, I think the guitar playing and the songwriting is a really high caliber. Mm -hmm. And it just came together really rapidly. By the time we went into the studio to record the Arrival CD uh, in 2008, uh, I'd only been playing guitar seriously for a couple of years. So it, it came together really, really, really fast. And 
it's very hard to kind of kind of figure it out uh, how it all happened, but somehow it did. I don't know if it was divine intervention or or what, but it is it just worked out for for me personally for my health and for the sound of the band and and since then we've kept it that way uh, it's just I, I play all the guitars and bass on the albums mm -hmm. London does all the vocals and keyboards and the only outside help we get is Josh Foster playing the drums if I could play drums I <laughs> maybe I the drums too <laughs> but Josh does a great job I'm not but that's just how we do it yeah keep it keep it yeah. um, I have to say that's very inspiring to hear you say that you've only seriously started taking the guitar in your 40s because I know there are uh, countless 40 year olds who maybe aspire to be good guitarists at some point in life and to know that you can still learn uh, is wonderful um the one dynamic that I believe in, in all the time I've been doing this, I've only actually ever spoke to one husband and wife band, and that was a Skillet, um, because it adds a different dynamic, obviously, when it comes to, let's say, mixing. Um, you know, that's a, a, a one where I think a lot of bands tend to fight. You know, whose amp is the loudest? You know, we need, can't hear me, and you, you got to move that slider. Who, uh, yeah, how, when you're in there on the mixing board, you know, uh, how do you? solve that argument without becoming personal you know how do you keep the professional end of it versus the personal end we we sometimes argue and fight and i think that's only natural mm -hmm. in art uh creating art mm -hmm. for us the art of music and i think everything in in certain ways though i think it makes it easier for london and i because since I'm doing the job of three people in the band, two guitar parts and bass. Uh, I don't have to argue with anybody else about the bass and guitar parts. I'm just concerned with what's right for the song. And, well said, and yeah. I know everything has its own space. It sounds like I'm antisocial and don't want to work with other people, but that's, it's just, that's just the way that this thing worked out for us. And that's just the way we do things. And, London does most of the production and engineering work. I just I I lend my ears if, because if I, we have um, you know, if we have a disagreement over something, I think it used to be a little more resistance from Dave in the beginning, but now he just says, "Well, I don't agree, but if you if that's what you think, then okay." <laughs> so, that's spoken like uh, a very smart married man. Yeah, it's gotten a little easier, but sometimes, I mean, a lot of times we we agree more mm -hmm. often than not. So, sure. Um, yeah. Well, it does, it does it does make a an interesting um, you have an interesting scenario because if 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 I'm in a band and I'm going to band practice with five other guys or mm -hmm. five other people. Uh, you get in an argument about something at the it, you know after band practice or after the gig, you get in your car and you go home. But if London and I have an argument about something and our recording studio is in our home, uh, we have to be careful that we don't carry that over into right. our personal life once we walk out the studio door because we're still at home. Right. Yeah, and, and it adds a, a kind of takes away one of the things you know. I, I think you see this in a lot of bands where a significant other who's not in the band can end up causing rifts inside of a band um so you guys have got kind of a unique dynamic um thank you for indulging yeah, that it, question it, it makes it really special and mm. unique 
for London and I, and there's just uh, there's just not really a, a situation like this, a team like London and I doing the kind of music that we're doing that that I'm that I'm aware of. Um, it just I, if if there are other people like London and I in the heavy metal field out there, I'm just not aware of them. I I just whenever I think of husband and wife teams, I think of you know, Pat Benatar and Neil Giraldo. Yeah, um, good point. And and I I struggle to try to find, and that's obviously a different kind of music. It's yeah. hard rock, I guess. For playing the you know the kind of stuff that we're doing, I, I don't know of any other husband and wife teams, and that makes it really special for what we're what we're doing. I think it and I think it adds to the the chemistry and the flavor. Yeah, the only other husband and wife I can think of off the top of my head would be uh, Richie Blackmore. Uh, and his wife, who um, Candace Knight, but the, you know they're doing yeah. more Renaissance music, and it's a larger ensemble. Yeah. Uh, and she does sing background vocals for for um, Rainbow now, but yeah. it's certainly a different dynamic altogether. Um, turn our attention. The album cover of Beyond the Rain uh, is a fantastic piece of art in itself. Can you talk yeah. about where that came from? Um, the the artist. Uh... Jonas, Jonas Darrow. and he's a he's a conceptual artist in the movie and film industry. Um, so yeah, we we think it's a really it was a really haunting um, piece that sort of fit you know fit the the mood of of the record and um, yeah, we think he's he's really talented. We've gotten a lot of we gotten a lot of feedback on the album cover. People saying yeah. that the artwork is amazing, and it is amazing. But I don't remember people talking about our first two album cover artworks in the same way. So, um, yeah, the this this digital digital art really seemed to have struck a nerve with somebody mm -hmm. with this uh, uh, with Jonas Tarot's work. And it's uh, he if you go to his website, he has some. Uh, portfolio is amazing and his uh, credit work in the film industry uh, being a, what do you call it a di digital cons cons concept Conceptual art, artist. yeah mm -hmm. that piece of artwork is called Moscow Ruins and it just really, uh, as soon as I laid eyes on it, I said oh I gotta show this to London and we fell in love with it and it just seemed to blend in with the Beyond the Rain uh, concept and uh, we contacted Jonas and got the rights to use it. Oh, well, excellent choice, excellent choice. Um, as far as touring, do you guys have plans? You're, you're based in the U.S., correct? Yeah, we're in um, the Houston, Texas area. Okay. Um, right now, uh, we don't have a touring. You know, we don't have a touring lineup, and mm -hmm. in the past, we. We put a lot of effort toward trying to assemble a touring lineup, and um, we just couldn't find the right people to work with. We couldn't find um, either people with the technical um, skills to, you know, to work with or the interest. And we had we were devoting so much time to trying trying to find these people that at some point I told Dave we should just abandon that because we're taking away time that we could be spending making original music which is what we love to do mm -hmm. um, so that's that's not how you know how it stands now we actually we were in California and we relocated to Texas 
a couple of years ago. So, you know, we've been in flux a little bit. And um, so at the, at the moment, we don't have any touring plans. We get, we get asked all the time, but Wildstar has pri primarily just been a, a studio entity, a studio project concept for London mm -hmm. and I to make music and and it hasn't it, it's strictly been the CDs the downloads and videos right and uh, it, you know it is kind of frustrating because we do hear from fans all the time saying you know we you please tour for this album and uh, not trying to piss anybody off but we just we also have a lot of things going on uh, businesses that we have here sure. um, run out of the house and uh, London's mom's here moved in with us. So, we, you know, we've got a lot of things that are kind of anchoring us here, not meaning to make excuses, just, just that that's the way things are for us. Could we put a band together? Yeah, yeah, we, we could. It would also be difficult. And uh, one of the problems that we had was people wanting to, uh, when we first started this out, where it was actually going to be more of a band thing, we had people trying to tell us what to do or right. suggesting things and when you've gone three albums doing everything basically London and I ourselves you don't really want people coming in and saying you know you, if you would change this around and yeah, do this and the last time I heard somebody say that to me was basically when I shut the door and wanting to work with anybody else because London and I have a vision and it's very special to London and I and if we were to work with other musicians they'd have to be uh very understanding of that and I think for musicians it's not always easy to come into a band situation and be told what to do Yeah. because um, they, they want to be creative and they want to contribute and I understand that yeah you've got the chemistry um, you know obviously it's it's not a cheap thing to tour um, you know as many artists will tell you that it, you know it, yeah. it's, it's a it's not a I don't think it's a pleasant experience for a lot of people you know you know, I didn't really, that aren't in their twenties anymore to I, get on a bus. And I did a lot of touring in VR. I did four or five hundred shows around the world, and there were parts of it I liked, and there were parts of it I didn't like. And if I had never toured before, then I'd probably have maybe have more of an itch to get out there and do it. But mm -hmm. I, just that grind, the grind yeah. of twenty, the, the twenty-three hours a day when you're not on stage, I don't yeah. miss that. And being clean and sober like I've been for twelve and a half years, that's another incentive to not want to put myself back into that insane asylum again that's a great uh, point uh, yeah so you know things point. are going great the way we do things and it may be um, a little different than the norm of people making records and then having a band and going and touring and then coming you know that's great for people who want to do that but London and I have I think we've come up with a great situation that fits both of us as husband and wife and co-band members and we're making great music and that's really all we care about fantastic well the new album will be out uh, December 7th it is December 8th I think December, December yeah. 8th okay great and that's Beyond the Rain um, that'll be available I'm assuming iTunes etc or um, are you uh, doing you I'm sorry go ahead it's um, both physical CD which is at all the major retailers like Amazon, Best Buy, Target, and then also digital downloads from all all of the um, normal normal places. <laughs> awesome. 
Okay, well, I want to thank you both. I, I appreciate it, uh, your time, and we'll look forward to the to the new album and uh, many things to come from you guys in the future. Well, thank you, John. Appreciate it. Yeah, we appreciate it greatly. Thanks a lot for talking with us. All right, again, Beyond the Rain is available December 8th, uh, so you can get that by the time you hear this. It will be past December 8th, I believe. So check that album out. Their website is wild, that's W-I-L-D-E-S-T-A-R-R dot com. Uh, if you like that uh, kind of music, it's really, really cool. And also, check out the album cover of, of Beyond the Rain. Honestly, I think I would buy it if it was available as a, as a print. Uh, it's such a cool uh, piece of artwork. It uh, reminds me very much of uh, the Gotham TV series on Fox. So check that out. Uh, finally, we're going to turn our attention to a guitarist out of the uh, Chicago, Illinois area. Uh, his name's Lou Dibello. Um, really uh, kind of a, a solo artist. Uh, in his music, but uh, really phenomenal guitarist, uh, and he's got a lot of material available out. Um, Heatwave, uh, one of his more uh, recent albums, uh, has got some vocals with uh, Carson Schultz, um, who has been around for a long time. He's using Mike LaPond on bass, who is with uh, Symphony X and Ross the Boss, and he's even joined on the album by Ross the Boss. So, um, you can get an idea of the guys he plays with, um, some of his influences and some of the style of music. So we'll play a little bit of Lou Dibello, and we'll get into that interview.
my pleasure to welcome to Iron City Rocks. We have on the line Lou DeBella. How you doing, Lou? Uh, really good, really good. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, my pleasure. Uh, you have a, a really cool uh, album out, Heatwave, uh, that I wanted to talk about. Um, you've got some guests, you've got some instrumentals, you've got some vocals, you've got some cover songs. Um, so really enjoyed the album, really enjoyed your guitar playing in particular. Um, but can Thank you, you talk... Um, when you're putting the album together, you've got sort of a blend of instrumental and vocal uh, tracks. How did you, um, did you sit down to write, you know, today I'm going to write an instrumental, or do you come up with a riff and you just find yourself something melodic to play over top of it to develop a, you know, a guitar instrumental out of it? How do you, how do you decide where to go with the song? Well, uh, uh, Heatwave is actually my fourth solo release that I've done and of course they've all been you know independent and so forth but uh, uh, and the the first three were entirely instrumental you know they were all all complete instrumental uh, albums and when I started doing this record or at least when I initially started working on the the, the first little batch of material uh, which was was a few years ago uh, when I very first started putting some of these tunes together. I kind of thought I was just going to end up doing you know another another instrumental all you know entirely instrumental uh, record. And uh, then as this you know project started coming together, uh, I started thinking a little bit more about doing some some vocal tunes. So so that entered into it. But I've written instrumental music. Uh, uh, for a long time, the, the first solo, you know, full release that I did was uh, called Pile Up, and that was in 1994. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, as far as writing instrumental stuff, you know, I really take my cues a lot more like from from jazz artists. Uh, when I was younger, I was exposed to a lot of jazz music, and my uncle's a really great jazz guitar player, and uh, you know, a lot like when I did that first record in 1994, at that time, you know, a lot of people sort of thought and, and asked me about, you know, oh, you know, you're, you know, influenced by, you know, Joe Satriani or Steve Vai or whatever, you know, because it was instrumental. But really, that's not really where, you know, the influence came from. It was much more from listening to, you know, to jazz and primarily instrumental music when I was a lot younger. And uh, at the same time, I've always had a pretty good sense of like songwriting structure and so forth, and and a lot of the uh, uh, like I used to listen to a lot of like George Benson and a lot mm -hmm. of like uh, Tom Scott, the saxophone player, and you know that's all instrumental jazz. But you know there's like a verse and a chorus. You know you know in jazz they call it the head. You know it's the lead part. It's you know it's a melody. So so for me writing instrumental stuff always was much more of a songwriting idea. It was just instead of words, there was a you know a melody that uh, you know that carried the tune, uh, which is different you know than a lot of instrumental guitar, especially rock instrumental guitar, where you know it's kind of a, a vehicle to shred through the whole tune you know or whatever. Right. So that's never that's never really been my thing. So so writing instrumental stuff has come pretty naturally to me and I've done a lot of it and, and I tend to approach it you know a little bit more in that structured format and then as far as uh, you know the vocal tunes 
and I've written and recorded from time to time over the years uh, various demos and, and other stuff that I've done uh, along the vocal tunes as well. <clears throat> and uh, there it's much more about if I have a lyric hook, you know, a phrase of whatever it may be, you know, uh, you know, blood on the cross, or, or uh, uh, you know, the let me hear you scream has a great chorus. You know, and if I kind of have like a an inspiration for a hook like that, it's pretty easy for me to put together the rest of the tune because it's kind of like you know, once I start hearing the hook, everything else kind of kind of makes sense. So, right. so again, it's approached in a you know, in a kind of a structured. You know, there's a, a verse, and whether or not there's a bridge or whatever, but you know, there's a verse and a chorus, and there's a form to it, uh, and uh, and I think that's part of what makes the the tunes on this on this record work. You know, because the, they they're structured in a way that people are used to hearing. You know, good songs structured in. You know, right. and yeah. Uh, so so yeah, so that that's kind of how all that came together, and. And when I started thinking about having more vocal tunes on this album, you know, I was kind of thinking a little bit along the lines of like the, you know, the very first George Lynch solo album where he had like a couple different vocalists, but also had several instrumental tunes. And, yeah. you know, there's the Michael Shanker albums that are kind of like that, you know. And, uh, uh, so, so it ended up having a little bit more vocal material than I than I maybe might have expected, but uh, but that all came out great, and probably we'll be doing even more of that as as we go forward. So, yeah, it's a nice blend. I mean, it's sometimes when you listen to you know as as a listener, I listen to all kinds of stuff from jazz to classical to blues. Um, when you listen to a full on instrumental guitar album, sometimes, especially for those maybe who aren't a guitarist, sometimes you know it's a, a little bit easy to drift. You know, they all kind of start to run the same, especially if you've got a lot of shredding in it, which I don't think your album, you know, is is over the top with that kind of, you know, speed. But, um, you know, throwing in the vocals sometimes can really help bring it in and and give variety. You know, it's like kind of like throwing throwing the ballad in, you know, against the screaming metal songs. If every song was at the same tempo with the same shredding guitar, it gets a little, you know, monotonous. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And, uh, you know, of course... The, the way the tunes laid out from one to the next, uh, not even specifically the order, but just the, the different tunes, you know, uh, it ended up being an opportunity for, for a pretty nice flow, you know, uh, uh, yeah. through the, through the CD, you know, it, 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 I thought, I thought it, it, you know, I thought it came out real nice, and of course, you know, when I started on it, I mean, I had a pretty good idea of how the songs would sound in my head, but you still don't know what it sounds like till it, till it gets done, and you can, you know, really listen to it through. So, yeah, I, I thought it, it came out real nice. Yeah, very well, very well. And like I said, it's it's a good album for, for people who enjoy an instrumental, but not necessarily, I mean, the comparisons to Satrion and Vi, I, I don't... I don't know where those people were coming from with that because I don't hear that right. at all. You know, it's there's not a lot right. of news. I, I find it interesting your, your choice of covering into the arena from um, Michael Schenker group because I think your playing does somewhat remind me of his uh, in places. You know, it maybe you know not a hundred percent, but I mean it was a nice cover. It was a good choice of songs. Um, and, and you know, it, 
his playing had had a big influence on me early on, and of course I you know I still love it and everything. Uh, and the thing that I kind of liked about that tune, and and actually I had to had performed that song live. Oh, maybe maybe five or six years ago, I had a, a group where I was playing out instrumental stuff, and I've done that at different times, you know, over the years, but. So a few years ago, I had been performing that song live, and and I had recorded a a version for myself with some backing track that I found, you know, online or whatever, you know. And so I was I was pretty pretty familiar with playing it, but uh, sitting down to record it, you know, the whole second half, you got to play that the way it goes. I mean, that's the way it goes. But the leads in the first half, you know, it's a little bit more spontaneous, a little bit less structured, and and I didn't want to just totally copy it note for note that the first part. Uh, but you know, there's the the rhythm part before the little leads come in, and you know that has that kind of Shanker Marshall tone, and I didn't want to overdo the guitar tone for that part, you know. Right. And, so it really gave me the opportunity to to work with it a little bit on my own, but then the second half, I was just pretty much really just trying to nail it all, you know, with that that signature melodic uh, uh, mm. part there all the way out. So so yeah, it was it was cool to do, and, and I thought it came out pretty good. Of course, you know, having Mike LaPon playing bass on that, you know, really uh, really gave it a nice feel, and and right. uh, the the guy that mixed and mastered the whole record in Germany, Rolf Monks. Uh, at the project that they did after they did my uh, mixing and master was the drums for the new Michael Shanker album, <laughs> you know. So, so he's pretty familiar with what's going on, you know. And I think he, uh, you know, he certainly did it justice as far as you know the final sound goes too. Yeah, it, it did. And that, you bring up a great point about you know how to approach covering an instrumental. You know, you think of. You know, you, you cover a Kiss song, for example. You know, you've got to get the words right, but you can you have some liberties on the solos and things like that. But when you're doing an instrumental, you really have to balance between just playing exactly what Michael played from start to finish versus, you know, messing with, you know, the song to make it your own. You know, so that right. Yeah, you know, there's there's I I think there's a little zone in there where. You know, you go too far one way or the other, and and it sort of loses the, uh, you know, the appeal, or or uh, yeah. you know doesn't doesn't connect in the same way, you know. But uh, uh, but yeah, I agree. And you know, it's kind of like uh, 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 one song I would I would love to cover with a singer uh, would be "Man on the Silver Mountain," mm-hmm. you know, and. Uh, you know, there, I mean, you know, you play the solo, you know, kind of in that spirit, but if you cover that tune, you're not going to just mimic the solo all the way through, you know. Right. Uh, and uh, and then there's some songs you would never cover, you know, to record, like you would never cover Crazy Train. I was know? just thinking but the exact play, same but if thing. You, if if, if yeah. you play Crazy Train in a bar, you pretty much want to play the solo like Randy Rhodes, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. so, you know, there's, uh, I think there's a, kind of a, a line that you walk if you're, you know, somebody like myself where you're trying to really legitimately perform a tune, whether it's, uh, you know, on the recording or live, uh, you know, and then and then, then how do you do that, you know? Yeah. 
because, uh, you know, there's so many people that play strictly by rote, you know, and even if they're reasonably good, you can just totally tell it's by rote, you know. It's like, oh, they practice that solo a million times, and that's the only way they can do it, you know. And either they hit every note perfectly or they don't, and otherwise, you know, they're, like, lost, you know. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the real guys, you know, Michael Shanker, Randy Rhodes. I mean, that's not how they learn, and that's not how they play, you know. Right. And you got to be able to kind of be in that same zone, you know, whether you're doing original material or covering a tune like that, you know, you got to kind of be in that same zone. Uh, otherwise, it just doesn't translate, you know. Well said. Can you talk, okay, you, you know, you did instrumental albums. You decided to, to introduce vocalists uh, for this album. How you chose uh, Karsten um, you know, kind of entrust your first first vocal recordings t- to his voice. You know, how did that decision come about? You know, that was actually a really cool situation, and it, it's turned into a really uh, uh, great, if long distance, uh, friendship. Um, but uh, I I attended Musicians Institute in California. And yeah, that was uh, in 1989. I left there in 1989. And a uh, guitarist uh, who was an instructor out there named Ian Hersey, who uh, had a pretty big influence on me, great player, a little bit of a Blackmore-style, old-school Strat guy, and real well-versed in a lot of different styles. He went to Berkeley and, and so forth. And uh, so I worked with him a lot while I was out there. And... Uh, you know, we, we, I'd look him up over the years from time to time. And uh, last year, early in 2016, probably March or April or something, uh, you know, I went to look up his Facebook page and sent a message, and I got a message back, uh, sadly saying that he had passed away a few months before that. And uh, so I started a little chat with the person that sent me the message, which mm-hmm. turned out to be Karsten, who had also worked with Ian. So, you know, now I'm messaging with this, you know, German singer that worked with my former instructor, and I look up some of his stuff on YouTube, and his voice is just, you know, ridiculously good, you know, and I'm like, right. hey, you know, let me let me send you some, some stuff and see what you think of my playing. And, you know, he kind of gave a, a little bit of a non-committal response, and then I sent him some stuff, and then, like, right away, he was like, man, this is really good, you know. Yeah. And uh, so I thought that was pretty cool, that he thought it was that good, and, you know, he clearly had a little bit more industry experience than me, especially in Europe. You know, he's in bands that have, you know, toured Europe pretty extensively over the years in the 90s and early 2000s. And so... uh uh, you know, we we started a little uh, correspondence in regards to maybe working together, and once he did the first tune, I was, uh, you know, I, I was just totally blown away because it was really the first time, and, I, and like I said, I've written vocal material before, and I've recorded some with, you know, different, you know, singers, you know, uh, locally or whatever, uh, that... Um, you know, that should be sung the way Karsten sings it, you know. And so hearing him uh, doing uh, uh, Let Me Hear You Scream was the first one that we did. And when I first got the first tracks back on that, uh, you know, I was just blown away. And I was like, you know, dude, let's, uh, you know, let's figure out a couple more tunes here. And so, uh, 
well, I, I could have potentially done another one or two vocal tunes with them on this record, although for time and various other, uh, you know, constraints, I just went with, with the eight tunes, but, uh, but I'm sure we'll do some more work together, and, and I've got a, you know, a handful of tunes, uh, going here for, for another record, uh, that'll have Carson singing. And, uh, yeah, it just turned into a really, really great, uh, uh, working relationship and, and just, just perfect for the way I hear the, the tune in my head. Yeah. And, uh, uh, so, so yeah, that, that just worked out great. And hopefully, I, you know, we're still all in the pretty early stages of getting the live performances together and everything, but, uh, it's not out of the question, especially maybe as we get into like next spring and summer, that if, uh, if I get a little bit more traction, maybe it makes it worth, uh, worth his while for Carson to come over from Germany and do some dates over here with me. And for that matter, I could go over there too, so. Yeah, we'll we'll see how far we get, but I'm sure we'll at least do some more recording together. Yeah, when I listened to it, actually, I was thinking the latter, you know, you going there, because it seems like this type of material really still flourishes in Europe. You know, it's it's very tough. I'm right. sure I don't need to tell you how tough it is to make it, <laughs> excuse me, in the United States, right. uh, you know, with, with rock and metal music. But, um, you know, it's got a great sound. I would I would imagine, you know, the, the European fans would eat this stuff up, so... Yeah, great, yeah, great. yeah. You think so? As far as um, shows, do you do most of your shows? I know you're you're from the Illinois area. Do most of your shows that you do now are in the Illinois area? Yeah, definitely pretty regional. Um, you know, mostly downstate Illinois, which covers a pretty pretty good amount of territory. And mm. you know, maybe I might venture across into Indiana a little bit. I haven't played in the Chicago area proper much in a little while, but. Uh, um, you know, most of the playing I do, and again, from time to time, you know, I'll do some little, you know, showcases or have uh, some original stuff that I do, but, you know, most of the gigs I do, of course, are, are cover gigs and, uh, looking at, uh, you know, getting a little bit more, uh, stuff going with the original, uh, act, uh, to do the heat wave material as far as, uh, you know, there's a lot of regional uh, areas here, Illinois, Indiana, uh, St. Louis area, where, you know, there's touring acts coming through all the time, and a lot of them are hooked up with uh, uh, some of the uh, management and, and, and industry people that I'm working with. So basically, if I had a lineup going now, I'd probably already have a few few dates scheduled and and that's kind of the plan here as we get after the first of the year is to just kind of you know get some one-off openers here and there and you know right. we've had a little bit of talk about maybe getting out in front of a of a package uh, uh you know late spring or next summer i uh, this this is just a for example it's not at all firm or anything but you know if there's like the uli roth midwest leg or you know shanker dates or some things like that that uh that, that definitely aren't real far out of the question, but but nothing firmed up yet. So so yeah, looking to looking to get a little bit more, you know, kind of legit dates with this material going. But you know, hell, I play 100 130 dates a year, or sometimes a little bit more than that. Awesome. Well, Lou, I want to thank you. Your website, we'll put a link to on our our website for our listeners. I want to thank you so much. Uh, stay warm this winter, and hopefully, we'll see you out on the road in uh, 2018. Yeah, thanks, John. I really appreciate you taking the time for me, and, uh, you know, hopefully we'll have some more news here as we go along. 
All right, that about wraps up this episode of Iron City Rocks. Thank you for joining us. Uh, again, a thank you to Joel Hoekstra, uh, Lou DeBello, and the folks from Wildstar for coming on and uh, talking to us about their new album. Uh, we invite you to check out our website at ironcityrocks.com. We'll have show notes with links to all the artists who were on the show today, as well as links for social media and contacting us. Uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, are all forward slash Iron City Rocks, or you can reach us at ironcityrocks at gmail.com. So we invite you to check us out, join the uh, conversations we have on uh, social media. We always enjoy hearing from each and every one of you. Uh, we have some great giveaways coming up for some shows we're doing. Don't forget January 17th, Stage A in Pittsburgh, Iron City Rocks. will be welcoming Asking Alexandra and the Blackfell Brides. Uh, I thought it'd be a fantastic show. So hope you get a chance to come out and check that out. So until next time, I want to thank you so much for listening. <laughs>